last Friday, uh, Brian and I had a, a great opportunity to travel to the cathedral in Long Beach to see Antonio Herndon ordained as a priest. It was a really powerful service. There were a lot of themes of racial reconciliation, so which were neat. He's an African-American guy who's been in the process of, of becoming a priest for, gosh, maybe five years or something. So it's been a real bless. It was, it was a joyous time for us to celebrate the culmination of a, of a long time for him. Um, and in an ordination to the priesthood, we read the passage that we just heard today about Jesus being the good shepherd. So we got to hear this passage read. Some of you guys may remember Father Charles. So Father Charles read the gospel reading. So it sounded a little different than what Brian just read. But it was, uh, but it was, it was something a little weird. But it was great. And I uh, lo- love it. And uh, so we, we got to hear that passage freshly um, at an ordination. And it's right that we reflect on that when we, uh, when we deal with our ordination. Um, because when we, when we reflect on the good shepherd, Jesus, we see who every priest would aspire to be like. The, the, the pastor is just Latin for shepherd. So, so it's just the Latin word for shepherd. So it's the people. When Jesus is the good shepherd, he's saying he's a good pastor of his people. And every, so today is Good Shepherd Sunday. On the fourth Sunday of Easter, we all turn away from the resurrection accounts that we've been reading in different Gospels and turn right smack to the middle of the book of John and read Jesus' teaching about how he is the good shepherd. <laughs> that's kind of strange, it seems. Right? I mean, that seems like a strange shift to me. Here we are, resurrection season, back in the middle of the story, hearing Jesus talk about he's a good shepherd. Uh, good shepherd. And I was just trying to reflect a bit on that shift um, this week. And I was thinking about it this way. I was thinking, you know, at the the event of the resurrection isn't just a bare event, right? It's not it's not just a notch on a timeline. The event of the resurrection gives rise to a new relationship. So Jesus was dead. So no one was relating with him while he was dead, right? He, we don't relate with dead people; they're dead. So he was dead, and then he rose from the dead, and that creates opportunity for us to relate with him, for us to relate with the risen Lord Jesus. So, and the shepherd is, a, is like perhaps maybe the main way that we relate with him. We relate to him, with him as our brother, as our co-heir, as our king. But perhaps the main way that we relate with Jesus, the resurrected Lord Jesus right now, is he is our shepherd. He is our pastor. He is our guide. Even at this very moment, King Jesus is praying for you and I interceding before his Father on our behalf. So today we're going to be taking a look at the Good Shepherd and how he is clearly distinguished from the other so-called hired hands. Then we're going to talk about three practices that lead us into a right relationship with our risen Lord Jesus, who is our Good Shepherd. So the first thing we see when we look at this gospel is that we have a Good Shepherd who is clearly distinguished from the hirelings, he says. So Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I am. I am is a big theme throughout the book of John. So John uses that term, I am, ego and me in Greek, 23 times throughout his gospel. And ego is unnecessary. So uh, some of you guys learned Spanish. You learned that you could say like, soy 
alto for I am tall. I picked a good example, huh? Yeah. <laughs> soy alto, right? Or soy, no soy alto, you know, if we want to say I am. But we don't have to say yo, right? We, so Greek is like that. We don't, the, the ego, the I, is not necessary, but it's used emphatically at all these 23 times throughout the Gospel of John. He's saying, I am, I am. What's he doing? He's alluding to Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. When God introduces himself to us, God introduces himself to Moses. He says to Moses, I am who I am. He gives his name, Yahweh, I am. And he said, say to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Now remember when the contemporaries of Jesus read their Bibles, right? When they, when, when they talked about the scriptures, they didn't have the Old and New Testaments like we had. They read the Old Testament scriptures. New Testament hadn't been written yet, right? And they read it mostly in Greek, especially the first readers of John's gospel. They read it in Greek. And in Greek, when we, there's a translation called the Septuagint. This is what they would have been reading, right? And in, when, when you translate Exodus 3.14 in the Septuagint, you get ego emi. And, and so what's happening here is the readers of John's gospel are going to over and over see the divine name throughout their reading of John's gospel. They're going to see it 23 times throughout the reading of the gospel in the teaching of Jesus. Him saying, I am, I am, I am, and referring him to himself with the divine name. In addition to that, think of Psalm 23, which we just read. Yahweh, I am, right? Yahweh is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, he said. And we have Jesus here saying, I am the good shepherd using the divine name to refer to himself and saying, I am the good shepherd. Jesus is saying that he is Yahweh, who is the true shepherd over his people, Israel. Not only that, though, Jesus is the good shepherd. And he's clearly distinguished from the false shepherds that came before him. Ezekiel 34, which we read today, said, Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not the shepherds feed the sheep? Jesus is not like the wicked shepherds before him who fed themselves rather than the sheep. So we see there's these wicked shepherds and then there's the good shepherd. How are we supposed to tell them apart? Well, Jesus tells us, right? He says the good shepherd is the one who lays down his life for the sheep. The good shepherd is the one who stands into the battle. When things get difficult, when things get challenging, when things get hard, he stands in. When the wolf comes, he stands in ready for battle. He will lay down his life for the sheep. The hired one will run away. The, the good shepherd, the good pastor will stand in and fight the battle. We have a good shepherd who did not flee danger. And why? Because he loves the sheep. He loves sheep. Not only did Jesus not flee the danger, he fought the battle with death. And it's not that he risked his life, although he certainly did that. He died. <laughs> he did die so that we might live. He laid down his life so that we might live. He showed himself to be the one who will ultimately battle sin and death, and he stood victorious when he rose from the grave. Right now, he intercedes for us at the right hand of the Father, 
Jesus is the good shepherd. He's the good pastor. And the best pastors on earth are but a dim reflection of the good shepherd. The best pastors on earth, the best pastors you would ever meet, the ones who always remember your birthday and, and, who, and who visit you in the hospital and the ones who pray for you and they pray for your Aunt Mildred. and they pray, you know, the, the best ones that you can imagine are at their very best a dim reflection of the good shepherd Jesus. This should be a note of warning and conviction for any that would desire to be pastors. James 3.1 tells us not all of you should desire to be leaders because you know that the leaders will be judged more harshly. Today we have two people in discernment to be pastors. We have Ron and Jason. This passage, if you are called to be a priest, will be ready to ordination to remind you what it means to be a pastor. And it should convict us, and it should, and it should make us wonder and ask ourselves freshly the same question that I've been asking all week: Do I love the sheep? Because the good shepherd loves his sheep. You have Ron, you have Jason, you have Brian, you have us. But anybody, any of us who would take on any type of spiritual leadership, you know, leading a triad or a fourth day group, a men's group, a women's group, all the various ways that we minister, all of us need to ask the question, do I love the sheep? Because what, what makes a good shepherd, according to Jesus, isn't how productive they are, right? It isn't how much wool can you get off the sheep's back? <laughs> Did you make more wool than anybody else, right? But it's will you love the sheep and lay down your life for the sheep? That's what a good pastor looks like. That's what the good shepherd looks like. This is an important word for us because the church calendar is about to shift away and shift outward, right? So it's going to shift from the life of Jesus. We walk through the life of Jesus. We walk through his death, his resurrection. We're spending this time celebrating his resurrection. We'll have the ascension on May 10th. Then we'll, then. The Pentecost comes and we celebrate the outpouring of the Holy Spirit to empower the people of God. And then the church calendar says, now go out. Go out. You're empowered by the Holy Spirit. Go be the church. Go love your neighbor. Go disciple the nations. Go preach the gospel. Go do everything that Jesus said his followers will do when they receive the Holy Spirit. The church is rightly going to turn that direction to the harvest fields, right? But for those who would be shepherds among us, the question is always, do I love the sheep? That's why our membership class says we value people over tasks. There's always stuff to do. But good shepherds love people more than tasks. But although the pest pastors are dim reflections, they are reflections. They do remind us of Jesus. The best pastors do point us toward Jesus, don't they? One of my favorite pastors is Ignatius of Antioch. So Ignatius of Antioch was one of the, uh, the first groups of writings, probably second century, 
right? First group of writings after the New Testament. He was a bishop who was martyred, and he, on his way to be martyred in Rome, he wrote seven letters to seven churches, right? And in his epistle to the Romans, he uses particularly strong language because he's, the Romans, he's afraid, actually, that the Roman church might have enough power, enough clout to get him out of this mess, right? He's walking to go to his death to get fed to lions, and the Roman church might be able to get him out of it. And he's writing to the Roman church to say, don't get me out of it. And he has really strong language. This is some of the stuff he said. He said, for I will never again have such an opportunity as this to reach God, nor can you, Romans, if you remain silent, that is, if you don't try to intervene and get me out of this, right, be credited with a greater accomplishment. For if you remain silent and leave me alone, I will be a word of God. But if you love my flesh, then I will again be a mere voice. Now, what's he saying there? Okay, there's a clamoring of discussion. There's a bunch of people around, right? They're preaching false gospels. There's heretics already right here early in the church, right? And he's saying, if you let me go through with this, I will be the voice of God. But if you get me out of this, I'll be a mere voice. I'll be a voice among the clamor. Why? Because anyone could get out of martyrdom. It was really easy to get out of martyrdom. You just march to Rome, and you just pinch a little bit of incense to Caesar. That's all. The Romans had no problem adding one more god to their pantheon of gods. The big problem with the, with the Romans and the Christians, the reason they were at odds with each other, is they were saying Caesar is not Lord, right? They were, it wasn't that they were saying Jesus is Lord. It's that they were saying Caesar is not Lord. And so, yeah, if he'd have marched down and pinched a little bit of incense to Caesar, everything would have been fine. Here's the deal. If they would have got him out of it, he could have gone back to his church. He could have said, hey, the Roman church got me out of it. There had always been a doubt in their mind. No one pulled out a cell phone video to upload it to Facebook Live, right? When he's, look how they got him out of it, and he didn't pinch the incense to Caesar, right? Like, there's no, there was no way around it. He knew if he went back, they would always wonder, did he pinch the little bit of incense to Caesar or not? And so he says, if you love my flesh, I will be a mere voice. I won't be a voice of God to them anymore. I'll just be another voice amongst all the people that purport to tell them the truth. So you've got to let me die for this. This is what he ends up saying later in the letter. May I have the pleasure of the wild beasts that have been prepared for me. And I pray that they prove to be prompt with me. I will even coax them to devour me quickly not as they have done with some whom they were too timid to touch. And if when I am willing and ready they are not, I will force them. Fire and, fire and cross and battles with wild beasts, mutilation, mangling, wrenching of bones, the hacking of limbs, the crushing of my whole body, cruel tortures of the devil, let these come upon me, only let me reach Jesus Christ. That's what a pastor looks like. He loves his sheep. He's ready to lay down his life for his sheep. We have Jesus, the only one who was able to do this perfectly, the only one who did lay down his life perfectly for his sheep. And right now he's resurrected and we can relate with him. The three practices that I think help us relate with the risen Lord Christ as our pastor, our shepherd. First is this, follow the dim reflections to the good shepherd. <laughs> When you find someone like Ignatius of Antioch, who's just a dim reflection, the best of us are, right? 
follow them to the good shepherd. Find those leaders in your life who love you, who know your name, who, who will lead you, and, and, and you follow them. Find the leaders who teach you how to listen to the good shepherd and listen to them. Recognize these leaders were failed. The best of us, the very best pastor you ever meet is at best a dim reflection of the good shepherd, right? But when you find one, cling to them and follow them to the one shepherd who will never fail, the one pastor who will never fail, the one shepherd who is always perfect, King Jesus. When you find the reflections, follow them to the real shepherd. Follow them to the real thing. Second, practice. What we must do if we want to relate to King Jesus as our shepherd is we need to identify the hirelings and silence their clamor. Identify the hired hands and silence them. Jesus distinguishes himself clearly from the hired hands. The hirelings will purport to teach you things, things that maybe are very important, but they don't care about you. They don't care about you. Most people, even Christians among us, receive most of their teaching from hirelings. Their voice, their ears are tuned more toward the hired hands than they are to the voice of the good shepherd. I see this in many ways, but I think the two greatest ways I see this are social media and the news cycle. Let me say this. Anderson Cooper and Rachel Maddow, they're hirelings. Sean Hannity and Bill O'Reilly, they're hirelings. They don't care about you. They're purporting to tell you things that are really important. They don't care about you. They aren't going to teach you the voice of the shepherd. Bill Handel, Rush Limbaugh, and Howard Stern, they're hirelings. They don't care about you. You know, some of you guys know when I first moved to Southern California, I drove soap around Southern California for about a year and a half. That was like my full-time job, and I listened to Bill Handel every day. Every day driving that van, I listened to Bill Handel for four hours. I was in the car anyway, every day. You know, I got, I got hired here. I never listened to him again. And you know what? I never got a note. I mean, he didn't send me a note that said, like, I missed you as my listener. <laughs> you know, like, I didn't get a letter. <laughs> nothing. I mean, just no, not a phone call, nothing. Why? Because Bill Handel doesn't care about me. He doesn't even know who I am. And they don't care about you. These people do not care about you. So don't take in your, the, the bulk of your teaching and the way that you listen from a bunch of people that do not care about you. The people on your social media feed do not care about you. Now let me clarify, some of the individuals on your social media feed do care about you. It may be in real life, but the relationship is structured in such a way that they can't truly care about you. Not there. I have 1,195 friends on Facebook. <laughs> if I deactivated my Facebook page tomorrow, none of them would notice. Not one of the 1,195 friends would notice that I deactivated my Facebook page tomorrow. Within six months, maybe, I mean like top end, in six months, 30 would notice. 30 of my 1,195 friends would notice that I've, because 
If you disappeared from social network tomorrow, no one would even notice you were gone. Why? Because what you are seeing when you pick up your phone and you look at social media is the results of an algorithm. It's an algorithm. I don't notice. So if you put up something that Facebook doesn't think based on their algorithm that I'm interested in, I don't even see it. I don't even see it. I don't even see it. Because Facebook is determined he's not interested in this stuff. He follows this. He doesn't like this. And so if I share a news story and you love Fox News and and the news story I share happens to be from CNN, you won't even see it. This is how Facebook works. You're not even going to see it. Okay? So understand the whole relationship is structured in such a way that you are bound not to notice when things disappear from you. They don't care about you. Before we have any chance, if I could say anything to you, before we have any chance at hearing the voice of God in our lives, we've got to learn to shut off the hirelings, the hired hands that don't care about us, that we spend so much time listening to what they have to say, they don't care about you. If you can't go to bed without watching the evening news first, just turn it off. Just turn it off. I promise you won't miss it. They won't miss you. Everything will be fine. If you check your social media feed before you get out of bed every morning, just turn it off. I promise they won't miss you. You won't miss them. Everything's going to be fine. You simply cannot hear the voice of God while listening to the clamoring and clamoring of other voices belonging to people who do not care about you. What do we do? Instead of that, turn that off and tune our ears to the good shepherd, the one who does care about you. There's a good shepherd. The king of all the universe does care about you. He does care about you, and he wants to hear from you, and he wants you to listen to him, and he's ready to teach you. So we tune our ears to the voice of the good shepherd. Throughout this passage, Jesus talks about the sheep knowing him. My sheep aren't like the other sheep, he says. They know me. They know my voice. They know what my voice sounds like. So verse 14 says, I know my own and my own know me. Verse 16 says, they will listen to my voice. Earlier in the passage, what we didn't read today in verses 4 and 5, it says, when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and they will follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow. They will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. God is making one flock out of Jew and Gentile is what the picture is here. And the, peop, the way that they're distinguished from everyone else in the world is that they know the voice of the shepherd. And this is not some like based on some esoteric decree that God just picked some sheep and not others. That's how this passage gets read a lot. But I was thinking about pressing the analogy a little bit. So when I, when I come home... Um, at night, and, and I pull the van into the, into the driveway, the dogs start, rah, 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 right? My dogs just start going nuts. Rah, 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 rah. And then I say, Maximus, Sophia, shut up. Right? What do they do? They shut up. Why? They know my voice. They know my voice. So I say, shut up, and they, oh, I, 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 the crisis averted. No one's breaking in. I can shut up now because I know that how do they know my voice? Because they live in the house with me, because I talk a lot, and because they hear me. And so they know my voice, right? 
And this is what it's like to know the shepherd's voice. It's spending a lot of time at his feet with him and hearing his voice. So some of you guys know, I'm about probably about halfway through the Book of Mormon now because I'm getting ready to move to Utah. So I'm about halfway through the Book of Mormon. And it's so obviously a fabrication. But how do I know that? I read the Bible like a lot. I read it a lot. I read it a lot, and I'm like, oh, this isn't the same voice at all. This doesn't even sound like it. This looks like a, this sounds like a term paper where it's been copied and pasted, you know. And it's it's just it's awful, you know. This isn't this isn't the voice of the shepherd at all, right? And it's because I've tuned my ear to know the voice of God, to be able to distinguish it from that which is not the voice of God. So we must tune our ears to the various ways that God speaks to us. Read through the Bible over and over and over. Like finish the Bible, then open it again and read it again. Learn to hear his voice in the words of other Christians. When you can hear them speaking, you say, yeah, that's what God had for me. That's a word from God for me. In silence, hear God speaking directly to you. Tune your voice, ears to his voice. Jesus is constantly leading us. He's constantly pastoring us. He's constantly speaking to us. The, perhaps the most important thing you can do to relate rightly with our Lord is to learn to hear what he's saying right now to you. To hear his voice, to respond, to be able to hear his voice amidst all the noise, to turn off the noise and hear his voice. See, Jesus is the perfect pastor. He battled sin and death. When many would have fled, almost anyone would have fled the obvious danger, Jesus stands in and he goes to battle. In this resurrection season, we celebrate the victory he won over sin and death and evil. And all, even the best pastors on earth are just a dim reflection of that good shepherd who really loves his sheep and lays his life down for them. And Jesus is still pastoring us right now. After the resurrection, he relates with us as our pastor. Right now, he's our guide, he's our leader, he's our pastor. And his sheep are the people that have learned to hear his voice. They're the ones that respond rightly to what he's saying. I don't know about you, but I want to be a sheep that knows the voice of the shepherd. I want to be able to hear him talking. As I to be a sheep that knows what the voice of God sounds like. So find good examples, follow them. Find those dim reflections of the good shepherd and let them show you how to hear his voice. Turn off the clamoring all around from all the voices of the people that do not care about you. Turn them off and listen for his voice. Tune your ears to his voice. You need his voice. You need to hear him. You need to follow him. Let him be your pastor. Listen for his voice. Amen.